Chapter 7 of Penelope's English Experiences by Kate Douglas Wigan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. A Ducal Tea Party. Among all my English experiences, none occupies so important a place as my forced meeting with the Duke of Kimikifugus. There can be no harm in my telling the incident, so long as I do not give the right names, which are very well known to fame. The Duchess of Kimikifugus who is charming, unaffected, and lovable, so report says, has among her chosen friends an untitled woman, whom we will call Mrs. Apis Mellifica. I met her only daughter, Hilda, in America, and we became quite intimate. It seems that Mrs. Apis Mellifica, who has an income of twenty thousand pounds a year, often exchanges presents with the Duchess, and at this time she had brought with her from the continent some rare old tapestries, with which to adorn a new morning-room at Kimikifugus House. These tapestries were to be hung during the absence of the Duchess in Hamburg, and were to greet her as a birthday surprise on her return. Hilda Mellifica, who is one of the most talented amateur artists in London, and who has exquisite taste in all matters of decoration, was to go down to the ducal residence to inspect the work, and she obtained permission from Lady Veratrum, the confidential companion of the Duchess, to bring me with her, I started on this journey to the country with all possible delight, little surmising the embarrassments that lay in store for me in the mercifully hidden future. The tapestries were perfect, and Lady Veratrum was most amiable and affable, though the blue blood of the Belladonna's courses in her veins, and her great-grandfather was the celebrated Earl of Rustox, who rendered such notable service to his sovereign. We roamed through the splendid apartments, inspected the superb picture-gallery, where scores of dead-and-gone Kimikifuguses, most of them very plain, were glorified by the art of Van Dyke, Sir Joshua, or Gainsborough, and admired the priceless collections of marbles and cameos and bronzes. It was about four o'clock when we were conducted to a magnificent apartment for a brief rest, as we were to return to London at half-past six. As Lady Veratrum left us, she remarked casually, "'His Grace will join us at tea.' The door closed, and at the same moment I sank upon the brocaded satin state bed, and removed my hat, and tore off my gloves like one distraught. "'Hilda!' I exclaimed. "'You brought me here, and you must rescue me, for I absolutely declined to drink tea with a duke.' "'Nonsense, Penelope, don't be absurd,' she replied. "'I have never happened to see him myself, and I am a trifle nervous, but it cannot be very terrible, I should think.' "'Not to you, perhaps.' "'But to me, impossible,' I said. "'I thought he was in Homburg, or I would never have entered this place. "'It is not that I fear nobility. "'I could meet Her Majesty the Queen at the court of St. James "'without the slightest flutter of embarrassment, "'because I know I could trust her not to presume on my defencelessness "'to enter into conversation with me. "'But this duke, whose dukedom very likely dates back to the hour of the Norman conquest, "'is a very different person.' and is to be met under very different circumstances. He may ask me my politics. Of course I can tell him that I am a mugwump, but what if he asks me why I am a mugwump? He will not, Hilda answered. Englishmen are not wholly devoid of feeling. And how shall I address him? I went on. Does one call him, Your Grace, or Your Royal Highness? Oh, for a thousandth part of the unblushing impertinence of that countrywoman of mine, who called your future king, Tummy. But she was a beauty, and I am not pretty enough to be anything but discreetly well-mannered. 
Shall you sit in his presence or stand and grovel alternately? Does one have to curtsy? Because if so, make any excuse you like for me, Hilda. Say I'm eccentric. Say I'm deranged. Say I'm a nihilist. I will hide under the scullery table, fling myself in the moat, lock myself in the keep, let the porculus fall on me, die any appropriate early English death, anything rather than curtsy in a tailor-made gown. I can kneel beautifully, Hilda, if that will do. You remember my ancestors were brought up on kneeling, and yours on curtsying, and it makes a great difference in the muscles. Hilda smiled benignantly as she wound the coil of russet hair round her shapely head. He will think whatever you do charming, and whatever you say brilliant, she said. That is the advantage in being an American woman. Just at this moment Lady Veratrum sent a haughty maid to ask us if we would meet her under the trees in the park, which surrounds the house. I hailed this as a welcome reprieve to the dreaded function of tea with the Duke, and made up my mind, while descending the marble staircase, that I would slip away and lose myself accidentally in the grounds appearing only in time for the London train. This happy mode of issue from my difficulties lent a springiness to my step. As we followed a waxwork footman over the velvet sward to a nook under a group of copper beeches. But there, to my dismay, stood a charmingly appointed tea-table, glittering with silver and royal Worcester, with several liveried servants bringing cakes and muffins and berries to Lady Veratrum, who sat behind the steaming urn. I started to retreat, when there appeared, walking towards us, a simple man with nothing in the least extraordinary about him. That cannot be the Duke of Kamikafugus, thought I, a man in a corduroy jacket without a sign of a suite. Probably it is a banished Duke coming from the forest of Arden for a buttered muffin. But it was the Duke of Kamikafugus, and no other. Hilda was presented first, while I tried to fire my courage by thinking of the Puritan Fathers and Plymouth Rock and the Boston Tea Party, and the Battle of Bunker Hill. Then my turn came. I murmured some words which might have been anything, and bowed low in a stiff-necked, self-respecting sort of way, for my knees refused to undertake any graceful curves. Then we talked. At least the Duke and Lady Veratrum talked. Hilda said a few blameless words, such as befitted an untitled English virgin in the presence of the nobility, while I maintained the probationary silence, required by Pythagoras of his first year's pupils. My idea was to observe this first duke without uttering a word, to talk with the second, if I should ever meet a second, to chat with the third, and to secure the fourth for Francesca to take home to America with her. Of course, I know that dukes are very dear, but she could afford any reasonable sum, if she found one whom she fancied. The principal obstacle in the path is that tiresome American lawyer with whom she considers it a duty to be in love. I have never gone beyond that first experience, however, for dukes in England are as rare as snakes in Ireland. I can't think why they allow them to die out so. The dukes, not the snakes. If a country is to have an aristocracy, let there be enough of it, say I, and make it imposing at the top, where it shows most, especially, since, as I understand it, all that Victoria has to do is to say, let there be dukes, and there are dukes. End of chapter 7